everybody. Welcome to this week's Learning the Tropes. I'm Erin. I'm Clayton. And I'm your romance novel veteran. And I'm the virgin. And we're your host. Happy birthday, Clayton. Oh, geez. Thank you. <laughs> we, it was we, your birthday yesterday, Monday. It, it was, yeah. We we all we're all Leos in this recording group of ours. Pat's is coming up. Yours mm-hmm. was the weekend before. Yeah. So it's, we all we all got together too. You guys came and we went to the beer garden. That was so fun, and I do love that. The so it's this Bohemian beer garden that's in uh, Queens and has been there forever. It's like a it started probably as like a social club. It's like a social hall, and the music on Saturday for your party was like polka music, but they it was all like covers of songs from like the nineties. So I'm like, this is really a perfect birthday, yeah, uh, band for you. It was really fun. It was great. It was uh, it was really fun. You got me some great swag from Books or Magic. Great, mm-hmm. great store. So I'm very excited about that. And yeah, it was a good time. It was it was really fun. I walked in and I was like, which one to get? Should I get him a sweatshirt? Should I get him this? Should I get him that? And then I looked and there was one with a big tiger on it. I'm like, well, he's a Leo. He's going to love this. I got it. Uh, yeah. And I, I wore it to trivia last night. <laughs> nice. And I got you a new yellow hat to replace the babe hat. But it, now it just is books. Okay. Books so, and babes. That is your life. Yes. So... I have to tell you this. So the babe hat is famous in our group of friends because I wear this right. babe hat that you got from an event that yeah, is a romance event at Strand. It was, babe is like a canned alcohol thing, and still to the, I have not looked up whether it still exists. <laughs> you what happened to the babe hat? Now I'm nervous. No, 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 nothing happened to the babe hat. So. I I wear this babe hat all the time. It's this bright yellow hat that says babe on it. And then on the back of the hat, there's a little rose, too. Uh-huh. Because I think it's, what, rosé in a can? Oh, yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. So I wear this babe hat all the time. And I was walking to Trader Joe's yesterday morning. And I don't have my babe hat on. I have a different hat on. And I walk by a group of gentlemen outside of... The Astoria, the the um, the place where they shoot all the TV shows, there yeah, Kaufman Studios, yeah. Kaufman Studios, and it's three. They look like crew guys smoking cigarettes, and one of the guys, hand on my heart, had a babe hat. No, my babe hat, the same babe hat, <laughs> and. The thing was, I wanted to go up and say something or take a picture, but I didn't have my babe hat on. So oh, I didn't. Wow. So what was I supposed to do? Be like, I have that hat at home. Trust <laughs> yeah, me, it. I'm not a psycho. And it was for them, and they didn't. It's not like they look like you know, like a rough crowd or anything. But it, I was just this random dude coming up to three other dudes to talk about the one guy's babe hat. Felt it felt weird. But if I had had my babe hat on, I could have pointed at the hat and been like, hat bros, or whatever I would have said. I probably would not have said hat bros. Hat bros, I think, yeah, that's, go to the second, the second choice. I would have said, where'd you get that fucking hat, man? (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so I was, I kind of regret not getting a picture, but I wish I would have worn my babe hat, and I don't know why. I think I, I just grabbed whatever hat was lying around. And it was I'm, just this black Asics hat that I have. I'm shocked to hear that you have another hat. This is news to me. I assumed <laughs> that the reason you wore the babe hat nonstop was because it was your only hat. Mm. No, I have. Se- I wear several hats. And oh, uh, right. babe is just my favorite hat. It just fits perfectly. Mm-hmm. And it and was it, free. That was in your time where you were demanding swag everywhere you went. That's true. That's true. But if you're that gentleman wearing that babe hat and you listen to us, you're one of the 3% of men who listen to this podcast, email us. Oh, we got a DM from a guy who listens to us and his wife does not listen to us. Whoa, that's cool. I'm obsessed. I know. Wait, let me get his, see what he said. But, uh, well, that could have been such a, like, a kismet moment because then I wonder if maybe he got it at a romance 
event. Those are the that's the only place I ever saw them. Yes, I've never seen one in the wild until until yesterday, and it was so weird because it was on my birthday, which seems synchronicity. Uh, what's the good word for that? Serendipitous. Serendipitous. Yeah. Yeah. So this guy, so I don't know if he wants us to say his full name, but his first name is Ben. And he wrote us on Instagram and he said, I just want to say that I'm a big fan of your show. I've been listening to it since last year and I am married, a married man who listens to your show willingly. My wife doesn't listen to podcasts. Thanks for getting me through the end of the world. And I look forward to more episodes. Oh, oh wow. He's so nice, huh? Yeah. I like that he is watching, he is listening to it willingly. <laughs> that made me laugh. Well, because I think we always just talk about it as if, like, oh, they're on a long car trip and somebody lost a coin toss and now people are listening to us against their will. <laughs> but we definitely assume that men are experiencing some sort of Stockholm syndrome. Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. It, we, I feel like it's a Stockholm syndrome situation with most men, but maybe not. So, all right. So, we talk about this book this week. Yes, what is this book? So we read Sherry Thomas's The Luckiest Lady in London, which is number one in her London trilogy. Um, I have read Sherry Thomas before, like, not for the podcast, and have always been a really big fan. She's one of these um, authors that I feel like people kept recommending to us, and I was like, oh my god, yes, obviously, we need to do a Shelley Thomas. And I'm so happy that we did. So... Before we jump into the book, let's judge the cover. This is a gorgeous cover. Beautiful. Uh, the dress is like a little modern for me, but it's okay. fine. Yeah, but she looks smoking hot. Yes. So it's like a bright green dress. We don't see the top of her head. So this was during the early aughts where women didn't have heads. And... Yeah, it's like satin, and she's sitting down. We see her, the bottoms of her legs, knees down. Yeah, I, I mean, it's beautiful. Her bust enhancements. Yeah. <laughs> they seem to be working here on this cover. Yes. <laughs> and is um, that is that a dress that she borrowed? Remember, because she borrowed a lot of dresses. Oh, yeah, she borrowed a lot from her from her aunt or her mom's cousin. Um, no, that looks like it was made for her. I feel like that probably came afterwards. The color is so bright green. And I'm wondering if it's one of those things that, you know, whenever we picture the past, we always picture everybody like pretty dour and pretty like drab colors. And I think that has a lot to do with like, we only see these pictures in black and white. But then when you see the actual garments, you're like, oh my God, they were so garish mm -hmm. and so bright and so much like weird color matching. So I, like, my instinct is to say that this is, like, a color that probably didn't exist then, but also I'm not a dress historian, so it very well could have uh, existed back then, but it's, like, a very bright, like, St. Patrick's Day green. Yes. So, but yeah, no, I, I love that. I love this cover. Um, and Clayton, what was the book about? So this book is about Louisa. That's how you say it, right? I think it's fine. I say Louisa. Louisa. I think it's just like an accent thing. Like, I think if you say Louisa, I think that's fine, too. Louisa. So she's looking for a man. And she's doing her stuff during the season, really trying to bag a guy to be able to take care of her and her family, especially her sister, who is ill. Matilda has epilepsy. Matilda. And she runs into Felix Wentworth, who is a guy who looks at himself as the ideal gentleman. But he's hiding a past that is dark and a pretty sociopathic temperament. Mm -hmm. And... She doesn't think that she was she'd be able to bag him, so she he wasn't even a target. But he sets his sights on her at first, wants her to be his mistress, and then eventually marries her. And then they deal with a lot of stuff during the marriage in order to make it work. And obviously, they do have a happily ever after. But 
they get married pretty early. And yeah, this is this is I mean that's the crux of it. Uh, yeah, th- th- this is an interesting book with two very interesting protagonists. Well, what did you think? What are your first impressions? I mean, I def I liked it. I mean, it's listen, it's a historical. Uh, this is like a warm bath. It, it, you know, <laughs> as, as soon as it opened up with the story of Felix's horrible childhood, I was like, I'm home. I'm home. <laughs> Bad yeah. parents in a historical. Here we go. I wouldn't I wouldn't settle for anything less. But it you know it, it's funny because both of these characters had their things where mm-hmm. she was kind of a conniver too. I don't think she's at the level of him in psychosis, but she definitely was and I understood why she did what she did, but there is you know she she's not your ordinary heroine. She is unlike other heroines mm-hmm. that we've read, I feel like. But I enjoyed. I did enjoy the book. I did enjoy it. What did What did you think? Same. I mean, I think it's it's interesting. I think it. it you know, we obviously we're like unabashed, like huge historical fans, and I think the thing that is interesting with all these authors sort of like playing in the same sandbox with this um, world that, like, you know, maybe existed, maybe never existed, is how different everyone approaches it and i think that like sherry yeah (laughs) sherry thomas um i think always approaches things in such a unique way and she has all of her stories are so interior and that's kind of what i love about her and her style is it's not and like listen sometimes you want like big explosions and drama and yelling in front of a crowd and sometimes you do just want to read of like two people who want to be together but cannot figure out how to get out of their own ways in order to make that happen mm-hmm. you know and that's what sherry thomas does and she does it so well because this is one of those books that you're like yeah what happened in this book you're like oh kind of nothing <laughs> like they look at much. telescopes <laughs> yeah they look he teaches her math and it, yeah. but it's really sexy trust me um but it's so much happening interior and that slow movement of the pieces of each of them towards each other but what i found really interesting about this book is i mean a lot i loved this book so spoiler it's it was great i'm gonna tell you to read it mm-hmm. but what i found so interesting about this book is they fall in lust with each other he comes upon her and she's talking about astronomy he also loves astronomy and i don't think she knows that that's just something she sort of stumbled into and then they start like a kind of a fun flirtation she is able to be free with herself in a way that she can't around the people that she's actually trying to bag because she doesn't think he would ever have interest in her. She feels that she's plain. She has to use her bust enhancers. She doesn't have any money. So she's like, uh, this guy's a waste of my time. So she can be a version of herself in front of him that she can in front of these other like dolts that she's trying to marry. And, you know, they end up falling in lust. She ends up being able to be really free with him with like her sexual fantasies in a way that I found charming. <laughs> yes. Um, and yeah. And so then he first says mistress, but then obviously he wants to marry her. And so then they get married and then, but they are always able to connect in bed. They never have that issue. No. So there is this thing I think about romance about, breaking through what could be a fine relationship because two people who are genuinely like each other's company and are fireworks in the sack, like that's a fine relationship. Like a lot of people would be happy with that relationship. But I think the thing that sets it apart is like a romance is that like, that's not enough. They need to break through to each other and really be in love and be able to have that sort of deeper connection that they're both absolutely terrified of having um, and so, yeah, that's why I really loved this book. Yeah, I love the use of Aperture as a almost double entendre situation where they, she would get very excited about the, the, the size of the Aperture on the telescopes. <laughs> 
And yeah, it is it definitely I the lust thing, they have that from the jump. Mm-hmm. And it is really when will they fall in love, which we knew they would, but it it was a long road because you know, his situation with his family, his his dad was not his dad. The the mom was cruel and they had a they they were fighting each other him and the mom until she died suddenly and he never realized that oh wait I did actually love her and I never really got to you know I never really got to do anything about this feud and so he he's always kind of looked at love as something very not real or something he could never attain which is you know a very standard thing for a a hero in these books but it does take him a while and he does he does screw with Louisa so much to a point where it it is pretty cruel yes so somebody in the facebook troop did say that she didn't like this book because she felt like Felix was a sociopath Mm-hmm. What are your feelings on that? Well, I mean, here's the thing. I did me- I did say that in the uh, what is this about? Right. And I that's a word I'm I'm sure you don't want to throw around lightly, right? Because mm-hmm. there's connotations to that. I do think he was very maladjusted. You know, yes. he he definitely was a guy who wielded his wealth and power cruelly. And it did, I mean, it did border sometimes on this is too much. And in real life, I would not be rooting for this guy. But obviously we are reading a romance and there's different there. Like I'm, I obviously knew that he was going to reach a point where he was madly in love, gives himself over. So it's easier to allow that transition to happen. So I do think he was messed up. I mean, we've had other heroes who have been kind of screwy and also been pretty cruel. I mean, uh, Kiss an Angel is a good example of a hero that mm-hmm. is is exceptionally cruel, but we're still kind of rooting for him. But that's part of the romance thing. So I I do think he was a little, to use the parlance of young people, extra. <laughs> but nothing irredeemable for me. I, it didn't ruin the book. But again, it's to each their own, and everybody has their own experience. So I could totally see where someone would say, this guy's too cruel for, for me to root for. Yes. What's your thought? Well, yeah. No, I think that's the th- same thing, too. And I'm a big proponent of just, like, stopping reading books if you don't want to. <laughs> Absolutely. So I'd be like, if this is not what you're in the mood for, then it's, you're not in the mood for it. That's what it is. I think the thing with Felix is that we are able to see into his thought process and kind of know where he's coming from. Where I get it, if I was just like Louisa's friend, I'd be like, oh, fuck this guy. Mm-hmm. But because you know where he's coming from and like the level of pain that he experienced as a child... Um, you understand him to not be somebody who is cruel for the sake of being cruel, which is, I think is how it appears probably to the outside, but he's somebody who is like deeply, deeply wounded and who is like trying to protect himself mm-hmm. in a, like a feral cat or something. So it's like, you know, I think the the scene that is the most cruel is, you know, after they get married, they sleep together. Of course, the first night is absolutely amazing. Lots of sex. Great, great, great. And then he has an annual house party and people come over and he's kind of like being a little cold to her, but she's still in the like less like honeymoon phase, like playing games with him and thinking it's like, oh, what's going on? And kind of trying to be silly. And, you know, they play this, these like word games with double entendre or just like straight out saying things and stuff. And so she does thinking they're still playing this game and he like turns it on her. And basically, like, fingers her and then just, like, wipes his hand in a handkerchief, throws away the handkerchief, and leaves the room. And it's just, like, unspeakable. It's so cruel to do to somebody, especially somebody who you're supposed to be married to or somebody who you are 
Yeah, just it's 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 so cruel to do and dismissive. And um, he married her. It wasn't the mistress agreement. Uh-huh. And it became closer to that than what she was expecting, which was an actual marriage. Right. Right, because I think she could also see that she knew that she cared about him, I think, pretty early on, even though it takes her a very long time to say it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think, yeah, because you know what's happening in his mind, you you aren't as, you don't judge him as harshly as maybe you could. Mm -hmm. But that, but also her being a schemer, I think, is out of necessity in a, a similar way in that like she has a ton of sisters and everyone's poor and once her mother dies like this annuity that they get is going to go away um and that's like a very that's a very real concern and it it's hard because like she probably could have got a job it wouldn't be enough to support all of her sisters mm-hmm. and um so she kind of has to marry somebody but I think also it's like all marriages are contracts sometimes. And I think it's like, I don't, I wasn't as upset with her because I feel like that, those were the rules of the game. You know what I mean? And oh, she especially wasn't back then. Yeah. And, she, and it's not like she was going after anyone that she hated. I think she genuinely thought she could have had like a n- nice marriage with any of these people. She didn't love them, but I don't think she was pretending to. Yeah, and I think I think the thing to to call her a schemer is like she she wasn't like you said, she wasn't looking for love, but she was looking for a a situation that would be fine and good. But love mm-hmm. wasn't her number one. It's got to be cuz she didn't have that ability. That's that's not something that she could just sit back and and think, "Oh, it's got to be somebody I love." No, it was necessity yeah. for her. And, you know, her not smiling because she had maybe a few teeth that weren't perfect and the bust enhancers and the borrowed dresses, it's all for a purpose. It, it To, I guess you could say, deceive men to make them think that she was of a higher quality. But I don't think anybody was truly fooled. No. You know, people know who everybody is. Right. And it did seem like these men were genuinely interested in her, too, which is, like, a little bit of the problem and why um, Felix had to do the despicable thing he did, which is, like, start spreading rumors and telling lies about all these men. <laughs> that that one of them was fucking his sister. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I couldn't figure out what was wrong with him, so I just made up that they were fucking. And it's like, Jesus, like, way to go to 100. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. With but I think it lie. was a, it was a it was like a stepsister, right? It wasn't his full on half sister, half sister. Yeah, I mean, still I mean, not stepsister is like maybe okay. Half sister is still rough stuff. Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, that was yeah that revelation was very funny. But she she saw what she wanted to see because she saw what he described, and then goes back and thinks. Wait, I didn't ever really see her whisper in his ear and her bosom pressed up against him was just because it was a crowded party. But she wanted to believe what Felix was saying. And I think that's what made it so cruel because she she thought, yeah, he manipulated me in a way that I'm not cool with. Yeah. And then she was upset with him for like 40 pages. So Mm -hmm. it all checks out. I do want to talk about sort of um, him and her family. We don't see a ton of her family, which honestly I'm fine with. I'm so glad we didn't. Uh, Nothing against (laughs) Matilda. I'm sure she's a a sweet girl, but I did not need (laughs) 40 pages of Matilda's plight. No. And it was sort of like, I think she was like, uh, when she got married, she's like, oh, they're taking care of. I can st- still just kind of, like, have sex with my husband, do astronomy type stuff. Like, that's that's going to be the vibe. Yeah, that was great. So, yeah. So, she has this sister, Frederica, who has smallpox scars, it seems like. And so, she is, suppo- she is supposedly the most beautiful of the sisters. But she's so incredibly vain that because she has these slight pop marks, she has locked herself in her room and refuses to leave. And, you know, so when they go to meet her family, 
Louisa is like, listen, my sister, she, the pockmarks, you can't bring them up, like, whatever. She's kind of, like, we indulge her. And I love that Felix sort of walks in and uses his, like, cold cutting to really put Frederica in her place in a way that is, like, very necessary. And it's sort of like, listen, you're being incredibly vain. You have, like, slight pockmarks that nobody really cares about or notices, but you have thrown away your entire life. And I find that pitiful. And mm-hmm. it's like, sometimes you need to say that. And sometimes you need to be upfront about that sort of thing. Sometimes that's what people need to hear. And I think also coming from Felix, who's like, obviously, like a very, very handsome man, entitled and everything like that. It was it was sort of what she needed. And I really loved that scene of sort yes. of twisting it on his head of like, what you think you should do in a situation and what you should actually do in a situation. Because she expected him to charm her family. And he did in a way because that snapped her out of it. And he says – he even says you're, you, you're not the prettiest. You're probably not the second prettiest or the third prettiest. But you're definitely in the class of these really pretty girls. And you have a few pockmarks. And you know, like you said, you, uh, you're just hiding yourself away like you're some beast. And that's just pathetic. Yeah. And she totally snaps out of it. She's looking at mirrors all the time. She becomes <laughs> she becomes obsessive in like looking at herself again, which I mean that shows a lot more about Frederica's just temperament vanity. in general. Yeah, her vanity. Yeah. Uh she is a handful, it seems like. But mm-hmm. yeah, that was I that's when his coldness can be used in a positive way almost. Yeah. And in the way he also talks about Louisa's bosom, which she calls concave, <laughs> and really was doing dirty talk about how small her boobs were and wanting them to be as small as possible was mm-hmm. a really cool inversion. Because I just, I love that where she, she says, I'm using enhancers, and he's like, how, me- how you know, how big, whatever. And then when she's finally going to reveal her bosom, he's like, they better be small. They better be so small. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love. That's such a cool character trait. And yeah. su- and, su- and such great dirty talk because it's, he's like playing with her, but also saying, I'm going to find your body so erotic no matter what. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, and that was where this, like, cu- this couple really shined is, like, uh, when they, it is just the two of them. Like, they were so good together, and the banter was so good, and the dirty talk was so good. It was, like, it was really fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And and I did love, again, like you said, I love that there wasn't anything super action-y dramatic. I mean, there was, like, a, a carriage accident and stuff, but nothing... Nothing seemed super extraneous uh, outside of these two. It really did focus on these two and their thoughts uh, about each other, which is Mm -hmm. what I want in a romance. I want that angst and pining and learning how to love each other. We'll talk about angst and pining. So she finds she sort of realizes that Felix has lied about Miss Edwards and Lord Firth, and they aren't actually fucking because her friend is marrying some guy that she's been in love with since she was a toddler. Okay. Um, Don't know how that's possible, but okay. (laughs) Well, we'll just keep, we're going to keep the train on the tracks. We're going to keep on moving. Um, And I love the sort of like, you know, they're at like a, in like someone's parlor or something. And then Felix walks in the room and just looks at Louisa and knows that she knows immediately. Mm And they have that sort of, like, silent communication. And then Louisa kind of dismisses him for a long time. And he has to really, really grovel and has to really, really work to get back into her graces. And I think there's always this moment in every romance where the characters have a decision to make of, like, okay, am I going to go back to the life it was before I knew this person or whatever my worst fear is? And for Felix, it's being in a loveless marriage or being in a marriage where he loves his wife more than she loves him. That's the thing that terrifies him more than anything in the world. Mm -hmm. 
And he has this point where he's like, okay, I love her and she does not love me. Is that okay? And he was like, yes, I'm okay with moving forward, knowing that I love my wife more than she'll love me. And that needs to be enough and that needs to be okay. And if I am just able to make her happy, then that is what I need to do. And I love that moment. And so then he starts teaching her complex math because that's what she wants because she wants to be, she is an astronomer, but she wants to learn more because obviously she couldn't go to school because she's a girl in sexism. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's kind of like how they end up coming together pretty slowly is just him being really constant in asking if she wants lessons that day and oh my god and the yellow tulips and all these mm. things just being a constant presence until she was ready yeah and then when he was ready she he had all this prepared and he was able to teach her and i loved that so much and then they end up fucking it's a blackboard it's- it'll Oh my god! You have to, you have to. Like that, the the whole time I was like, this has to happen. <laughs> oh my god, that was so good. And then they like fuck. They have this like dirty fuck against the backboard, uh, against the blackboard. And then they're just sort of like, okay, go back to lessons. And he's like, mm-hmm. now what in the hell was that? <laughs> yeah. Um. But I thought that I him groveling and seeing him sort of reduced, obviously, you love to see it every time. And I thought he did a great, really long grovel. And Louisa didn't let him up an inch. No. You know? I mean, they, but that's the thing. They, you know, he messed with her. She messed with him, too. But, Mm -hmm. you know, when his friend that he used to have sex with, what was her name? Uh, Lady Tremaine. Lady Tremaine. There's that scene in the library with a hidden place, the little alcove behind the bookshelf. Oh, yeah. Which I was so excited when that happened. She's behind there, and uh, Lady Tremaine comes in, and he knows that Louisa is there. Mm -hmm. And Lady Tremaine's like, come fuck me tonight. And he doesn't say no. And she's just horrified by it. Because she's like, what's going on here? What what is happening? And then later, there's the the who's Thor Thorngood. She makes Felix think that she's allowing this guy to have sex with her, but yeah. she knows that it's him. And it's like mm-hmm. a mind fuck. They they fuck with each other. But she does oh, yeah. that because of what Felix did to her. So it just is not healthy for a, a while there. Oh no, things needed to change. There's no way that status quo of a relationship could have existed. Yeah. But yeah, I totally forgot about that scene, the Roman folly thing. Yes, yes. Where uh yeah, they before they get married, she talks about how she's, like, into, like, having sex in public. And mm-hmm. he talks about how he has this Roman folly and they can fuck against a column. And then, so she sort of makes him believe, yeah, that that she had invited somebody else there. And then he blindfolds her and fucks her. And then she's like, no, listen, I knew it was you the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, I knew. Yeah. And because he had sent the guy away saying, hey, the guy you owe money to, he's coming. <laughs> to this Long house party. Here's something we have to talk about. Yeah. His, his, um, I guess, what would you call it? Huntington is his estate. Yeah. His country seat. It sounds horrible to live at for me because not only does he have house parties that last for weeks on end, people coming in and out all the time. It's actually open to the public as well. Yeah. That is horrifying to me. When I found out that this place was open to the public, I wanted to puke. Because it's <laughs> well, bad also, enough having yeah. you know guests that you can control, at the very least knowing who these people are. But thoroughly random people coming by and gawking does not feel like a home to me. Yeah. All those... Well, this is also... A romance. This takes place in like the 1890s. This is like a very late. This is like a Victorian romance. Um, 
And so, yeah, I think at some stage they opened up all the houses where, like, I mean, well, that's, like, a big plot point in Pride and Prejudice, too, isn't it? That, like, they just, she just goes to his house to, like, visit it. I don't know. That book. Who cares? So, um. Not very familiar with Pride and Prejudice, unfortunately. Or fortunately, from it's what you're fine. saying. You know what? It's a good book. Here's the thing. It's a good book. People are too obsessed with it. I don't need any more adaptations of it. We're cool. We're good. Let's. Well, Put a pin in it. We've done it. Put that and poll quote like- on the uh, the next edition. <laughs> Aaron Leaf of Learning the Tropes. It's a good book. It is. Like, listen, I'm not going to say it's. I didn't enjoy it. I read it. It's it's fine. It's not like the best piece of literature I read in that from that era. But like, it's a good book. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like it's not a good book. It's great. But and also the prototype and Jane Austen is very is obviously like a master and all these things are true. But I think the oversaturation of Pride and Prejudice has just driven me insane. Yeah. Because I'm like, there are other there listen, there are other authors from that time. There are other really wonderful books in the public domain. Like I get it, but let's try let's just see what else is out there. Let's just try some other things. Come on, guys, Absolutely. let's just do it. Anyway, that's such a sidetrack. But yeah, these houses are massive. And also the thing is, too, it's like, listen, these people's taxes are paying for these houses through the peerage system. So I'm 100% okay with them being able to see the house whenever they want. But I agree. A week-long house party seems exhausting. But, yeah, he has two a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it seemed, I'm sure it was fun. It's nice to have people around. It just, uh, it, being at my home is different than if it were somewhere else. Like if I was a guest at this, I'd be like, "This is the bomb." <laughs> and but but if I live there, I'd I'd think this is not. This is most definitely not the bomb. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I mean, it also seems like that's kind of like what these people did is they just like went to each other's houses for a very long time. I think also like travel was hard. So once you finally got somewhere and set up, it wasn't like you would just go and set up for like a night. Like oh, it doesn't that's, make sense. That is very true. Oh, uh, there's so much. Uh, so can we also talk real quick about the walking stick as phallus? Ooh, that's great. That was really hot. She, I love how sex positive this book was, and especially Louisa, how sexy she was and so down for it. I, I love that yeah. about her. Yeah, and especially for this being written in 2013, like, it does feel ahead of its time in that way, too. Yes, yes, absolutely. Because she, I think sometimes books are like, I don't know, sometimes the people tell us they're sexy talking books or something like that. But, like, this was, like, really playful, fun, really sexy, like, banter. And it also, like, drove the characters forward that, like, that Louisa could be this free with only him. Because I think first she didn't think that anything would ever happen. And then it was like just kind of a fun game. Because like that is the fun of flirting. Like flirting is fun because it's like a little like word game that you have with somebody. Mm -hmm. With double entendres and things like that. And trying to surprise somebody and intrigue somebody. And I think it was so fun to read those sections. Yeah, absolutely. Well... I mean, do we have anything else to talk about, or can we get to the big question? The most important of all questions. Yeah. Would we fuck them? I mean, yes and yes, obviously. Come on. Yes, absolutely. They were both so sexy. hmm So good at what they did. And, yeah, I would definitely do them both. Mm-hmm. But I think the thing with I liked about the sex scenes, too, was, like, sometimes they were perfunctory, Sometimes it was just like, oh, he's already inside her. (laughs) Like, they weren't as, sometimes sex scenes, and listen, I'm not going to rag on sex scenes, but sometimes they are way too long. Yes. And I felt like these were always, like, kind of perfect. Yeah. All right, we do Goodreads list. Let's do it. Was this on a good amount of them? Because it feels like it's a popular book. It was on, like, five pages of lists, so it was on a ton. Wow. Uh, Best historical romances, married couples. I'd say, yeah. Hot, steamy, sensual historical romance books. Yes, this is definitely steamy. Uh, Plain Jane and hot stud romance novels. She referred to herself as a plain Jane, and I guess she was looked at by the... During the season... 
people mm-hmm. looked at her as as being plain, but uh, I, you know, she she revealed herself to be very beautiful in other ways too. So. Right. Well, I think the thing is too is like he talks about her like when he first meets her, of like not thinking that she's so attractive, but then like as he gets to know her, he's like, oh, I'm obsessed with like every aspect of her. Mm-hmm. Which also is, I think, the way you actually fall in love with somebody sometimes. I mean, sometimes you see somebody and you're like, oh, they're hot, like, let's do this. And then sometimes you get to know them and you're like, oh my god, like, how did I not see it before? Like, I think that's very real. Yes, absolutely. Historical romance, marriage of convenience, slash arranged marriage. I would say no. I mean, it was marriage of convenience in that they wanted to have sex with each other. <laughs> uh-huh. But. Yeah, loose, loose. I don't think this is... If this was on the list, uh, uh, like, you know, if I read this book, it wouldn't hit my sweet spot on these tropes. No. Best character-driven historical romance. Uh, Yeah, I mean, this was really character-driven, which was great. Uh, Villain gets the girl. Yeah. I don't know that he's a villain. Like, he does some shitty things, but... I don't know that he's a villain. Outright villain. That's so hard. I mean, I'm sure there's people screaming at the... At, at us being, how do you not think this guy's a villain? I Villain just feels, he didn't do so hard because he was cruel, yeah. but I don't think that makes him a villain. I feel like it's like if you're telling me a villain gets the girl, I'm thinking it's like Devil in Winter, Sebastian, mm-hmm. like Evie, like he straight up kidnapped his best friend's wife and then he's the hero of the next book. Like, that's the turn I'm looking for. This is like, and also because we see that as a child, how cruelly he was treated by the people who are supposed to love him. Yeah. we. I think it's easy to feel differently about it. And it's like, yeah, he does really cruel things. And like, listen, if you can't forgive him for the things he did, I get it. And that's totally valid. But I think, I don't think that it's, um, I don't know that I would go so far as to call him a villain. Yeah, I don't think it's villainy. I, I would say d- take it off the list. Heroin is a schemer. Yes, I lo- and I love this list. I love I love a schemer. I love the <laughs> word schemer. Yeah, yeah. This definitely intelligent romance. Yes, sure. scientists in historical romance. Yeah, they're yeah. Best grovel scenes in romance novels. Yeah, he grovels. It's pretty great. Stargazers, romances with hero or heroine, astronomer, astrologer, or astronaut. That's covering a lot of bases. Yes. <laughs> I know. Yes. I would love to see a, an astrologer hero or heroine. Yeah. We both love that. We do need to find out your birth time, Clayton. I, let's put a pin in that. I know. I know. It's crazy. It's driving me insane. Because then I entered it in and it said that you were... A Leo moon, an Aries moon in Leo rising, which is like psychotic. There's no way. There's no um, way. Romance novels to reread again and again. I could see definitely certain passages rereading. I do feel like this is also the kind of book that you could get something out of the second time. Like you, we've talked about this before, but like how so much of your current mood and situation of what's happening in your life really influences how you relate to a book you read. So I can see being in a different point in my life and reading this and getting something different out of it. So 100%, I think this is a reread. Mm-hmm. Cravat, best hero in Regency romance. It's not Regency, it's Victorian. So but. take it off the list. And Cravat is that the something you wear right yeah it's like that big tie thing that like men in the regency had against their throats and like maybe later again i'm not a dress historian but like yeah yeah uh Listen, take it off the list. it's not a regency like you said um small breasted women have bigger hearts now listen <laughs> well we've we've got i feel like we got this before this uh-huh. list and i agree with the thought of it like the intention of this but yeah to denigrate other breasted women to prop up small breasted women is not the way to go about it right it should be about unity in breast sizes well it should be small breasted women have big hearts fine bigger but not bigger hearts no 
Yeah. Listen, as we have said, we haven't said in a while, so maybe we should say it again, but, like, all boobs are good boobs. We're, every boob is great. Agreed. A big, big smile after reading. I could see that, yeah. Yes, I did. I loved it. This is one of those books that, like, as I got closer to the end, I was, like, reading for shorter periods because I didn't want it to be over. You know? Mm-hmm. Sexy Blonde Heroes, Historical, Contemporary, and Paranormal Romance. I mean, you're covering a lot of bases here. So these these kind of lists that have so much on them, I'm not a huge fan of. Uh-huh. Because it's, it's just blondes, blonde dudes in books. And that could be so many. I mean, he is blonde, though, so. But it's, but, but it's, is that, I mean, everybody has their something, I guess. But it, would you read a book just because a guy's a blonde? No. And that's the thing. So what's the point of this list? Because you might not like paranormals and and contemporaries. You might just like historicals. So what's the point of this list? But I also think that a blonde hero is rare. I think most heroes tend to be like dark hair, you know? Okay. So it's like, I do get that this is something different. Like, I don't know if there's a brunette hero. I mean, there probably is, but like... I feel like this is more of an anomaly. Uh, Historical romance, best banter between hero and heroine. Yes, they had very good banter. Yeah, impoverished heroine. Mm Mm-hmm. Books you want to be made as a movie. No, I I don't think so. why, Why would you say no? I don't know. And listen, would I watch this book if it was made into a movie? A hundo. But I don't, I think there's so much interiority to this book that I don't know how you could possibly translate it to screen. True. That is actually a very good point. It would seem, he would seem way worse without his thought process. Right. And so much of the book is just kind of like them sitting around together, her going through the notebooks. You know, I like listen, try. <laughs> it would have I, to I, be it would have to be yeah. done in such an artful way that most mm-hmm. people watching it would get bored by it. Right. It would have to be such a slow moving. It would feel so slow moving. Mhm that yeah i don't know i I think listen not that i didn't love this book i absolutely did but i think that there are just like other books that would be better adaptations you know what's funny and i don't want to because you know we don't have much time Mm -hmm. i don't want to this could be a conversation for a minisode but that might be a reason why i don't like so many contemporaries is because they're written to become movies Mm -hmm. and so the lack of interiority is frustrating to me. That may be one of the reasons why a lot of contemporaries don't hit my sweet spot because they are just saying, "Oh, here's something that could be a movie." And here's the it side characters and all that stuff, right? Where this like you said, it's very hard to adapt this into a, into a, a TV series or a film, and that's a strength of this book. Yes. Man, I might have yeah. hit on something. I think you might have hit on something. Yeah, it does feel it does feel like a lot of contemporaries they have uh, an eye towards adaptation, and therefore they're writing towards that. Where and, and, and know, that's a prerogative, and there's nothing I, that I'm not saying that in a way that is they have a right to do whatever they want, and and it makes sense to do that. But as as somebody who reads these books, I think maybe that that's one of the reasons why they fail for me. Yeah. So you love a bad boy or tortured hero. Great list. I guess. Yeah. It's a great list. I don't know that he's tortured, but yeah, I guess so. You you don't think he's tortured? Yeah, I guess he is. Yeah. And there's also that. Yeah. There's that torture of a parent dying before you've had a chance to resolve things, Mm -hmm. you know, and then it just sort of stops. And I think that is really frustrating and really, really hard because, you know, like I have friends and family members and stuff where that has happened. Um, and sort of the cruelty of that is, 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 is really upsetting and can be torturous. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, historical romances featuring blue stocking scholars, independent misses. Yes. Mm-hmm. Another thing I liked about this book. So she's into astronomy. She's obviously like very, very intelligent. But something that annoys me sometimes is when in historicals, heroines have this overly modern view of not wanting to get married, where that wasn't something that like, and listen, I didn't live back there back then. I don't know what people were thinking, but it seems to me that like that is presented as such a inevitability in your life. And that is the way to get out of the situation that you're in. That's the way to get a better situation that it always, not always, but occasionally it can seem really forced to me if the heroine is like, I don't want to marry or I just want to marry for love or this is bullshit. And I'm sure people thought that way, but I don't think that it was like a zero-sum game. Like, I think there were probably people like Louisa who are like, listen, I got to get married. I have to help my family. That doesn't mean I have to, like, give up who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so I really appreciated that, too. And then finally, your favorite couples in historical romance. I think these, this was a really great couple. Absolutely. Um, all right. So, Clayton, what are your tropes? Flat-chested heroine. <laughs> lust at first sight. Well, not actually. So, lust before love because he didn't really lust after her at first sight. She was lustful mm-hmm. for him at first sight. But marriage, then love. Walking stick is phallus, already mentioned. Bad parents. Scheming heroine. Secret places because of the alcove in the and, and great library by the way i mean just the amount of books was i love that 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 was also an incentive for her to maybe be his mistress was having all the books the access to the books i related <laughs> to that and telescope fetishism <laughs> those are my tropes aaron what are your tropes Oh, yeah, they discovered a comet together. That's so romantic. I know. Um, So marriage early in the book, husband hunting, sex to get it out of the system. And here's a trope that exists, and I don't know what to call it. So I'm trying to figure out what to call it. I called it overwhelmed after first fuck, but that's not elegant, and I want something more elegant. But this idea of, like, men thinking that they cannot be attached to their wives and then have sex with them the first time. And they're like, Oh my God, no, I'm in way too deep. And it spins them out of control. Mm -hmm. We got to think of a good one. Yeah. But that's great. A great trope. Love it. Love it. Love it. Astronomy mistress proposal. He wants her to be his mistress first. Yes. Um, which is also like, I've seen a few times. Great. Uh, bad parents. His parents are bad. Her mom is, uh, seems like pretty much non-existent. Mm-hmm. Only connected in bed. Like, the sex is always fantastic, but they're never able to get it to, they aren't able to get it together until the end. Um, great gifts. He gives her really, really, good, he's a good gift giver, which is not a talent I have, and so therefore it's one I'm intensely jealous of. Yeah. Sex forward relationship, plain heroine, super hot hero, scheming into marriage. They're sort of like scheming against each other. And then secretly love. They both know that they love the other one very early, but don't say it for a long time. House party. And then sneaky ex-girlfriend, Lady Tremaine, who is the heroine of the next book. Um, Oh, interesting. But she's always kind of like hanging out in the corners in a way that I found sneaky. Yeah, but you know, there's something sexy about her. I liked the relationship that she and Felix had, and I thought it was really good, and it it seemed to be, like, a good relationship. And I was never actually worried that she was going to, like, listen, she wasn't going to be, like, Derek Craven's ex and pull anything crazy. Like, no. she seemed pretty, like, secure. Um, so, yeah, I liked her. And she also, I mean, she thought this guy was who she thought he was, so that's why she offered to fuck him. Yeah. You and know, then she he, realized he wasn't into it, and then so she just like backed off immediately. So good yeah. for her. Yeah. Um, all right, Clayton, what has you swooning? I guess I could just swoon about uh, queens. <laughs> Go for it. Well, I mean, I'm just saying, like, I think my swoon is being back in the city mm-hmm. and discovering a new uh, area in the city, which I'd never really spent much time in. 
Nice. Yeah, so I'm very excited to, you know, go to the park all the time now and have my I love having, you know, my routines. Mm-hmm. And and you know, you have that first couple days where you're not doing what you normally do and you're out of your routines and then once you get into your routines, it's really great. So I guess my swoon would be routines <laughs> and new burrows. Yeah. I do think there's something to like settling into a new place. And I think it's like exciting and you're like nervous at first. And then sort of like when it starts to feel like home, it's such a wonderful feeling. Yeah. I'm like not there yet with home Mm -hmm. where I live being a home, but definitely getting used to the area. I'm really enjoying it. Aaron, what has you swooning? (sighs) I'm swooning about a television show. Of course. <laughs> I love TV. TV is my favorite. Hire me to write on your TV show. I am swooning. See, now this is like a double swoon because I've watched two great shows. So my first new show that I'm obsessed with is White Lotus. Okay, uh, Mike White. Mike White. Yep. Great uh, comedy writer and actor. Um, and it is about just a group of people at a resort in Hawaii, um, and sort of all of the things they get up to. It's, it's a, it's really funny, really well done. It's a really like scathing representation of those people. And I think especially now with how the residents of Hawaii keep actively saying like, we don't want any more tourists to come because there's a water shortage. So the people of Hawaii have to, uh, are having to ration water so the, for the tourists, which is just, you know, awful. <laughs> Don't do that. Um, it's interesting to watch White Lotus uh, now um, and to sort of see the way that sort of every week these people's pathologies are sort of realized and it's, and it's done in a really great way. Uh, Jennifer Coolidge, who is, you know, a national hero and treasure, is on it, and she's really fantastic and plays such a sympathetic and specific person that I don't know that I've ever seen represented on screen before, um, but who I've met in real life many a time, and uh, she's amazing. And then Molly Shannon just showed up last episode, and Molly Shannon is a true gift to us all. So love the two of them. Um, it's a really great show. So yeah, White Lotus on HBO Max every Sunday night. Nice. What's your your other show? Oh, so my other show is a show that I like resisted watching, but then I finally put it on and became uh, obsessed. And so uh, season two, they're calling it like Dirty John as like the series, which was like the Eric Benacotney Britain about the podcast. But this one is about Betty Broderick. Somebody I've known about for a long time. She's a woman who they, her and her husband went through a very contentious divorce. He remarried his secretary and then she murdered them both. And I kind of thought it was just that, but like the show is so incredibly well done. Amanda Pete is a phenomenal actress and the writing is so spot on in the way that they show slowly show like sort of the gaslighting and what would bring someone to that stage. Um, I just thought it was really well done and it was done also in a, like a really respectful way as far as obviously two people were murdered and that's as serious as you can get. Um, but, and it, it was very interesting and it was very interesting to sort of see the placement of women in the eighties. Cause I think the eighties was not that long ago. And I don't think that we acknowledge sort of how trapped women were for so long until like very, very recently were, women able to make sort of these big uh, decisions and have sort of this level of um, being able to manage themselves within society in a way that was uh, conducive to that. So I would say that is all available on Netflix now. Betty, Betty Broderick, the Betty Broderick story with Amanda Peet. Um, And it's also really, really well done and really, really good. And I love TV guys. You do love love TV. All right, well, Aaron, where can they find us? So you can always email us at learningthetropespodcast at gmail.com. Twitter is, we are on Twitter at Learning Tropes, on Instagram at Learning the Tropes. We have our Facebook troop, so come join us there where we chitty chat about all kinds of stuff. Um, and then we have merch. 
which is linked below if you guys want uh, to walk around with something with our logo on it. Um, also, please don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, or follow. Rate, review, follow. Yeah. It's how people find us. You guys are actually really wonderful uh, about rating and reviewing us, and we really appreciate anyone who's taken the time. And if you haven't, we would love it if you could. Um, and TikTok. We're on TikTok. Oh, we're on TikTok at Learning the Tropes. Uh, Annie runs that. We're both old, and we cannot figure out TikTok. So Annie does a really wonderful job. So thank you also to her for, for running our TikTok account for us. Yes. Uh, she does a wonderful job. And all right, everybody. So we will see you next week. Happy reading. Happy reading.